0: you. So with that, why don't we uh, jump right in this morning. Today is actually the last message of a series of messages that we've been looking at over the past several weeks. The name of the series has been called Gospel as Center in Matters of Race, Justice, and Humanity. So today's actually the very last message. If you guys don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. We have ushers that would love to get you a Bible. If you currently do not own a Bible, this is your first Bible please take it. It's our gift to you. You are not stealing it. Anyways, we want you to have a Bible. So today, as I mentioned, is the last message in this. And today we're going to be looking at a topic that I've never really thoroughly delved into at all. I've touched on it throughout the years of pastoring and teaching, but the title for this morning is just Gospel of Center slash Power Dynamics. And I'll tell you why in just a moment, why Power is a message that is a part of this larger series. With that being said, today, as I mentioned already, is the last message in this. Next week, we move into the season of Advent, where we begin to shift gears and focus in a little bit on Uh, more uh, strategically, just the season of welcoming, the coming, the arrival of Jesus into this world, uh, what we call Christmas, obviously. And then after that, the beginning of the year, we're going to go through a brand new book teaching series. Uh, This is the official. You're hearing it for the very first time right now. We're going to start going through what I just like to call expositional book teaching through uh, the book called 1 Peter. If you've never read through the book of 1 Peter, my invitation to you would begin to read through it right now uh, as you, not right, this very instant, but at some point throughout this week as you read the Bible. uh, The title of that series will be just simply called Uh, suffering and glory and that's exactly what the whole book is about it's a book about how to suffer in the midst of life in a way that is actually meaningful and helpful instead of just simply becoming a victim of the challenges and circumstances that we oftentimes find ourselves in the midst of so there you go a little bit of an outline for the next few months as to where we're going to be heading as far as a church community teaching wise content wise on sunday morning so what I want to do right now is I want to basically just read a passage, uh, and then again, as we've been looking at this, this has been a series of topics. Uh, as i mentioned multiple times, I, my sweet spot normally is just te- teaching through a book in the Bible. Topics are not my favorite. However, there are occasions where I feel like we need to, as a church, address certain topics, and that's why we're doing that right now in the matters of race, justice, and humanity. So I'm going to begin with Psalm 62, verse 11. If you guys have a Bible, why don't you open there. I'll read it, uh, and then I'll just make a quick little statement about it. I'll pray, and then we'll get to work looking at this. Our time is limited. I have a lot to say. So there we go. Psalm 62, verse 11 says this. Once God has spoken, twice I heard this. That power belongs to God. That power belongs belongs to God. Before I pray, I don't know what your relationship has been like with power. Maybe you have been an abuser of power. You've had authority given to you. And maybe you haven't even been aware of that authority that's been given to you. And you have abused that power and you've caused pain and hurt and destruction in the lives of people. Maybe you've been on the other end, you've been a victim of power abusers. Powerful people taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable and you've been on the receiving end of that, and you've suffered pain or tremendously, trauma in your life, to you, I want to say very clearly before we even jump into this, some of this may be a little bit triggering or traumatizing. My hope is that it would not in general, but if that's been you, my hope to you, for you, is by way of introduction is to say I'm sorry if you've been a victim of any form of abuse from religious leaders, from a daddy, from a boss or somebody in your life that has had a position of power or held a position of power and has misused that position to cause great trauma and pain in your life. So power is an essential teaching that we have to look at. Uh, There's an idea that power is bad and or power is good. But in reality, according to the Bible, which we'll look at, it's neither good nor bad. However, it can be manipulated to be really bad and destructive, or it can be used in a way that's exceptionally good. But in and of itself, it's not bad because God himself, what we just read, is the possessor of all power. What we want to look at here this morning is how to use power in a way that's constructive rather than destructive. So let's pray. Let's get to work. Jesus, we entrust our hearts, ourselves, our minds, our ways into your care. And we ask you, God, right now, that you would just meet us here in this place and reshape our understanding of this really essential word um, and idea and concept so that it is formed by your word and informed by your Holy Spirit. And then God, use that in a way to transform us to become people that are like you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, What I want to do is I want to basically just break this down into a couple different categories. I'll just tell you what what we'll be looking at first, and we'll just begin to kind of circle back and look at them one by one. Number one, I want to take a look at the problem of power. The problem of power. Next, I'll take a look at power revealed in Scripture. In other words, how does Scripture actually reveal power? Thirdly, we'll take a look at power reimagined, reimagined in Jesus. Is there another way to think about power? I would suggest emphatically absolutely and then finally we'll take a look at power redeemed through human beings remade remade human beings people like you and i in other words we have the ability to take misuses or abuses of power through a reimagined understanding through scripture then become people that use power in a redemptive way to bring about healing so again like i said we got a lot to cover i want to jump right in let's first of all take a look at the problem of power Why is this such an important element to look at right now? I would suggest to you this. In our culture today, right now, the major places of pain and hurt and trauma in our culture right now, the things that you're constantly watching on the news right now, at the very center of it all is this thread of misuses of power. Whether that be from the Me Too movement to the Black Lives response to uh, racial injustices, whether it be police Men, for the most part, who are for the, in general good, but there are some few bad apples or systems that might uh, contribute, or whether world leaders or powers or people in high positions of power, whether it be like a religious leader who find themselves embroiled in scandals, at the very heart of all of these things, I would suggest, is power that has been misappropriated or abused. So this is an essential topic for us to consider and think about critically, So I want to go through a handful of ways these played out throughout history. First, I'll just jump into historically and or politically we see this Crop up through tribalism, or one tribe elevating themselves from another tribe and subjugating or destroying them. We see this through nationalism. This is the idea that my nation is greater than your nation. Or classism. Uh, we see empires rising up, and what we have with regard to the spread of empires, what we would call colonialization, where they go into another territory, another colony, another area, and they subjugate those people. They put them under their thumb. They take advantage of them. They strip them of their rights, their privileges, their abilities, their freedoms, and in some ways, even their own culture. And they forced them by way of this colonialization to become like the invading colony. And this, is, this has gone throughout history. Uh, we see this through tyrannical leaders, leaders that have risen up and have ruled people with a very, very powerful form of government. We see this in communism. We see this in Nazi Germany. We see this in slavery. Uh, And other historical elements like even in America, let's call the Trail of Tears, Jim Crow rules, regulations. We see this even through things where even after Jim Crow rules where uh, blacks and other people of color were trying to get houses. And yet the banking systems created these little things called red lines around certain territories. And so they were disallowing certain people of color based upon their either social economic status or a lower level of class, at least in the mindset. All of these, I would suggest, are forms of abusive power that bring pain destruction secondly i would want to begin to look at this plays out even in a religious context and we've seen this throughout the past 20 30 40 if not even longer years it also goes all the way back into the bible where i would even reference the sanhedrin these are the religious leaders in jesus day again if i were to ask the question who put jesus to death and obviously we know it's a combination not only of rome but also the religious leaders the religious leaders. Uh, Why? Because they're drunk on their own power. They love their positions of power. They love having amassed this degree of recognition and uh, strength and power over people. And they ended up putting Jesus to death. They saw Jesus as a threat ultimately to their power structures. We see this throughout the history of even Christianity. What we would typically call Christendom. Christendom, which is this idea that Christianity is as a kingdom. And not the kingdom of God, don't confuse that with the kingdom of God that Jesus comes, but Christendom, that basically uh, what happened throughout history is Christians, uh, they teamed up with political systems and they brought a sense of subjugation upon other people through coercion, in some cases even the sword, conversion at the end of the sword, which I would highly recognize, that is an abuse of power. It looks nothing like the way that Jesus brought forth the kingdom of God. We see this through pre-Reformation Catholicism. These were a lot of the abuses that even Martin Luther sought to address when he posted his 95 Theses upon the Wittenberg Wall. It was an attempt to basically combat, to call out the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church. We see this even in modern day, or not modern day necessarily America, but uh, when America became formed as a nation. Things like the Salem Witch Trials, where for the most part, at the very center, a lot of this, were... That idea, that thread of Christendom in which people were being burned at the stake because they were viewed to be as not Christian. I mean, imagine that even being done here today. Imagine a religious system or a church or a pastor saying, we're going to kill a handful of people today. You're welcome because God's awesome. And we got to combat the evil one. And here we go. Let someone light the fire. That is an abuse of power. It looks nothing like Jesus. We see this even through sex, money, power scandals, where pastors rise up. They become celebrities, and within their celebrity status, they want to hold on to that power. We see this even in the context where churches, rather than calling out evil uh, or uh, child abuse, even within some context of churches, uh, the idea of trying to protect their institution, rather than calling out sin as a sin, they expose it. Maybe some of you have been a victim of that. Maybe some of you have been in a context where you have been abused or taken advantage of in a Christian context or a religious context. And rather than the leaders of that church calling out the evil when you brought that before them, they kind of covered it up or they minimized it. And again, I want to say this to you. If that has ever happened to you, I am so, so sorry for the pain that you had incurred. That's not the heart of Jesus, that by definition is an abuse of power as we kind of move on, we begin to think of even about modern society uh, and the most obvious ones are obviously in terms of like racism or sexism or classism. We see this in the context of bad cops or police of police ex- excesses a force and things of that nature that we've just seen. It's been on the, it's on the news. Now again, there are stories that are often times behind these stories that always need to be heard. There's a legal system that takes care of the thing. I'm all for a sense of keeping uh, order. I think that's essential. There's something important to that. But the point of the matter is these are some of the obvious things that we've we seen. Harvey Weinstein, in terms of what created the response to that, what we would know is the Me Too movement. All of these things were forms of abuses. So you have a guy like Harvey Weinstein, who's a very, very powerful media mogul, that he is the guy that you go to. If you want to advance your career in Hollywood, you go through him. You make favors with him. You play the game with him. Uh, In that relationship, he takes advantage of you, but he also allows you to advance your career. We see this in Jeffrey Epstein, some of these other elements where there's kind of like a blackmailing type. All of these, I'm trying to say, that then play out through sex trafficking, political scandals. Uh, all of these are forms of abuse, abusive relationships that we find are in the midst of. In fact, I would even go so far as to say all of this is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, it's all pervasive. You cannot get away from it. And I would suggest that what's happening today in our world, for the most part, is an attempt to respond to abuses of power. Lastly, and perhaps in some cases, one of the most hardest ones for some are abusive dads. Dads who should have been in a position of utilizing their power as a means of bringing blessing to the family, of covering, and protection, have exploited that family, have exploited you perhaps in that case. And it's created an incredible daddy wound or trauma in your life, and you're still dealing with that. To some degree, you, even your understanding of God has been misshaped by an abusive father. So this kind of brings me to the last idea of the first point, which is, what are some of the responses to these abuses? And I'll just give you four of them that I think of right now. There's probably a handful more, but these are the ones I can think of. Poetic protests. Number one, pro- poetic po- protest. I think of these as like music or even just straight up poetry. I think one of the quintessential examples of this is I, one of my favorite is Bob Dylan, where he obviously used his poetic ability to craft music that was unbelievable as a way of poetic protest. I mean, you listen to the lyrics of his songs, and not only is it amazing, but at the same time, he's attempting to critique power abuses. Another one is philosophies. Uh, principal ones of our own country is the uh, U.S. Constitution, where within that they created what was called the separation of powers. Why? It was a response to tyrannical power uh, abuses from England as a way of basically saying we don't want any of that anymore, but we have to craft a new way forward creatively, and through that was the formation of the Constitution and the separation of powers, We see this even throughout other philosophies like Marxism, which was an attempt to try to remove some of the powerful uh, capitalistic misers that had controlled much of the region of that part of the world in an attempt to try to rebalance things. But again, while there may be some similarities to Christian thought, at the end of the day, it, it itself is a power play and became a power play and was one of the agents that was responsible for the death of millions of people throughout the world over the past 100 to 150 years. So lastly, I would think of some of these other elements in terms of political systems. That's the systems that are created are attempts to try to address misuses of power. And then lastly, I think of both peaceful protests, violent protests, and then ultimately revolutions. All of these are reactions against power plays, And again, I'm not making an opinion about them one way or the next. I'm just simply identifying them. These are things. These are ways by which human beings have attempted to address misuses of power. And yet, as I think about this, it's almost universally true. Almost. I say almost. Almost. And I would probably put this in a very high 90s percent rate. It's almost universally true that when an oppressed people group defeats their oppressors, they become the new form of oppression. I'm going to repeat that because I want you to listen carefully. Because there's a tendency for us to look at groups that are rising today and say, we need to put our energy behind this group. And I would suggest, unless that group has its central mandate, it's the Sermon on the Mount, it will fail. And when it fails, and when they get on top, they will become the new oppressors. Through their efforts to combat colonialization, they themselves will become the new colonizers of their ideological constructs. So, with that being said, I want to now begin to take a look at how this plays out, secondly, in terms of power that's revealed in Scripture. How does the Bible talk about power? Believe it or not, this word power appears a lot. Hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of times, throughout the Bible, there's a couple predominant words that are used to describe power. I'll go through them real quickly. So, for example, in the very beginning, the Bible, as you open up page one of the entire storyline, the very first introductory lines it says, "This in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." That should immediately cause you to realize something about this Yahweh God that you're being introduced to. That this God. Unlike any other God, he has the capacity to create all things. All things we see, all things that are unseen, all things that are felt, all things that are tasted, touched, enjoyed. All of these things, the introductory lines of the Bible tell us, This God, Yahweh, and again, we don't know much about this Yahweh God as of page one yet, but you will begin to see this unfolding drama begin to reveal who and exactly what this God is like. But so far, what we're told at the very introductory page of the Bible is that this God is so powerful. He uses his power to create a world that becomes habitable for human beings. So what we know within the first chapter of the Bible, that whoever this God is, However powerful he is, he uses his power to create a habitation for human beings. Not to crush human beings, not to exploit human beings, not to take advantage of human beings, not to gain something from human beings at their expense for his own benefit, but to give to human beings a place where they can flourish. It's kind of like what a dad should do. So, number one, we see the word power uh, revealed through a particular Hebrew word that's called ya'ad, ya'ad. And that appears around 1,500 times. And that actually gets translated as predominantly the word hand, hand, an open hand. Um, and then it gets translated as power or side or some of these other ways in which it plays out. I'll give you some examples of how this uh, comes into the context. So Psalm 89 verse 13 says this, You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand. It's the word yod. High is your right hand. So the idea is, is strength is associated with the hand. Now that makes a lot of sense from a Hebrew thinking because of what a hand can do. A hand can be used in a way that promotes strength. It can rescue somebody. It can also slap somebody in the face. It can cause healing or it can be used to cause pain. But apparently when it comes to God, it says that he uses his mighty arm to rescue. Again, Psalm 95, verse seven says, Yahweh is God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So the psalmist envisions God as a, as a shepherd, lovingly caring for his sheep that are doing whatever sheep do. And he's taking care of them. Uh, so we see this idea of, again, hand. In the New Testament, if you follow the concept of the word, just the word hand, in the New Testament, you begin to see this kind of plays out even in the life of Jesus. So I was reading through a handful of passages. Here's Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. It says this, that Jesus himself stretched out his hand and he touched him. And what did Jesus do with his hand? He says this. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy, he was cleansed from his leprosy. So Jesus uses his hand not to combat, not to fight, not to strike, not to hit, not to smite, but to heal. The second word that we see in the Hebrew Old Testament is the word koach. Koach. You got to say it and kind of get the going on there. And the way this is uh, used throughout the Old Testament it's a lot less amount of times that it gets used compared to 100 or 1,500. It's around 126 times. But this word gets translated as strength or power, human strength or strength of angels, strength of God. Uh, another translation which is actually gets used is going to sound kind of funny. It actually gets translated as reptile, as lizard. Why? Because apparently back then, reptiles, lizards were kind of viewed as this, this, uh, this creature of incredible strength. right? So they just use this particular same word to define that. Here's a couple of ways in which this particular word appears throughout the Old Testament, just so you can get a little bit of a flavor of how strength or power is utilized within the Bible. Exodus chapter 15, verse 6. This is a story uh, when God brings the people of Israel out of the strong power, the strong hand of Pharaoh. So question, for those of you that might or may not be aware, is Pharaoh uh, an oppressor or an oppressed human being? He is is the quintessential oppressor, all right, of the Bible. He gets picked up uh, metaphorically through Babylon, through Rome. All of these are basically ways of identifying as an oppressive human person that ends up taking advantage of other people for their own benefit. But in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, it says this, Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O God, shatters the enemy. So how does God use his power, his strength to crush, not the weak, not the marginalized, not the forgotten, not the hurting, but the oppressor that is taking advantage. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17 says, beware lest." and he's talking now to the people of Israel who are now going to begin to move into the land of Canaan and begin to set up shop and begin to grow their own crops and produce their own food and trade uh, with others and barter and kind of begin to create a habitation throughout the land of Israel. We're actually told in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, God says this to them. He says, beware lest you say in your heart. Right. So here they are moving into this new space, new land, new territory. God says, beware lest you ever say in your heart, it's by my power, my koach, And my right hand, Yad. so we have the same two Hebrew words appear in the same sentence, have gotten me this wealth. So God says, listen, as soon as you guys begin to move into this territory, don't ever somehow assume that it's by your strength, your power, your ability, that all this has kind of fallen into your lap. The assumption is God wants them to understand, I'm the one that will always take care of you. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who will provide for you. And then Psalm 147 says, as great is the Lord and abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. So that gives us a little bit of a flavor. Again, I can keep going on and on, but by way of time, I gotta just bring this little moment to an end because at the end of the day, what we notice about power is power is not a bad thing. When it's used rightly, the way God uses it, it removes the oppressed under the hand of the oppressor. Nextly, what I want to jump into now is humanities. Uh, it, it, so that, first of all, we saw God's power. And what I want to introduce to you is an idea in your mindset with regard to who God is and the power that he has. So the Bible scholars would tell you that God's power is what we would term innate. In other words, uh, it's not outside of him. It's a part of him. God's power is inside of him. Uh, when it comes to human beings like you and I, is our power... Innate or is it someplace else? And I would suggest to you the way the Bible describes it is our power is not innate. Your ability, your influence, your ability to do certain things, uh, that, that's a gift from God. Always a gift from God. So what we would describe that your power, my power, humanity's power is derivative power. It's given to us by God. So for example, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 28 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds and all livestock. So what we're told very clearly here is that the power, the dominion, when God says, let them have dominion, it's a way of basically saying, let them rule, let them exercise the power that I give to them. So think of the power that they have as being like the power of a manager versus the power of a of an owner of a business. Your job is to manage what's been given to you. It's, you didn't create it. You didn't even really necessarily deserve it per se, but it has been now given to you. The question is, how will you steward it or manage it? And that's what we see with human beings, that their power is derivative. So what we see that it goes on to say that human beings were invited to rule and reign on God's earth. They were given authority to exercise dominion over what he describes as the sea, the air, and the earth. And inevitably what ends up happening with human beings is rather than ruling over all of these things, they do do that, they also end up ruling over each other. Adam begins to become oppressive to his own wife. Brother ends up killing other brother. And we see this... Fragmenting, destruction, death begin to permeate all throughout humanity. Why? Because power has now been corrupted and abused. So for example, we see the human response to these forms of power is to either cover up, to create violent revolution, or an academic revolution by the way of ideas, things like Marxism, what we would even identify as what's commonly known from the Frankfurt School in the 1930s, what's called uh, critical theory or critical uh, social theories, which we would derive the idea of critical race theory from. Again, all of these are just simply attempts to address power structures that have gone amiss. Or what we'd even see within cancel culture, which is another way of saying, you've used misused your power, I hate you, you're done, I cancel you. It's just a power play. It's another form of power play. Addressing a power play. So what I want to creatively think about is what's a different way of thinking about this? Though I would never recommend watching this, but from the pop series game of thrones there's a phrase that came up that i thought was really powerful uh one of the main leaders and again if you don't know anything about the general plot of the whole series it's all about people that have power of thrones and it's basically a game of thrones a game of playing who gets to be on top who gets to exercise enough power and crudeness and rudeness and destruction in order to come out on top become the top of the food chain and rule all kingdoms there's a statement that says this all rulers are either butchers or meat. There's a lot of truth to that. That's the world we live in. But I would suggest to you that Scripture actually invites us to think about power in an entirely different way. So this is where I want to move on to the last few ones and be done with this. Uh, I want to reimagine what power looks like. And I just want to read to you a passage in the New Testament about the life of Jesus. So if you want, just, just listen and observe and pay attention. Uh, Jesus has done nothing throughout his entire life except incredible blessing of other people. He's used his power to help those that were in the margins, those that were hurting, to feed those that are hungry, to heal those that are wounded, to dignify those that have been shoved off into the margins of society and forgotten. Jesus has done nothing except use his power continuously over and over again to help and benefit other people. In other words... He's constantly describing himself as a king, as a ruler, but a different type of ruler. That's not like Caesar. It's not like Caiaphas, the leaders of Jerusalem. And so we see just before Jesus is about to go to the cross, he has not been arrested yet. He sits down with his disciples knowing about what's going to happen. He's going to have a meal with them. They're going to go out to a garden and pray. And at that garden praying throughout the middle of the night, Jesus is going to be arrested. And then we'll begin the next few hours of just grueling torture, ultimately to the place of his own crucifixion on the cross. But in this moment, John chapter 13 says this. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come uh, to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them all the way to the very end. Verse two, he says, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, skip on down to verse four, Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, verse five, he says, then he poured water into a basin and then he began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around them. So quick, quick question, whose job was it in the ancient world to wash? Now again, remember back then, for the most part, they did not have nice, clean, orderly streets like this. But even if you walked around your entire day and or week without any shoes on, which all you guys have, Your feet would be not only filthy dirty, but they would be callous and disgusting and smell. So whose job would it be to wash people's disgusting feet? Servants. Those that were of a lower class. Those that were not recognized with any moniker of decency and order or power. So what's Jesus doing? He takes off his clothes which was an act of saying, I'm disrobing myself from what I have, and I'm entering into a role that I want you to see. He is literally disempowering himself in order to go to those who are actually disempowered to raise them by washing their feet. The disciples obviously are shocked by this. Peter's like, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And Peter's like, all right, wash the entire part of my whole body, body, wash all of me, right? It was classic Peter. Um, But then it goes on to say in verse 12, but when he had washed their feet, Jesus put on his outer garments and he resumed his place. And then he said to them, do you understand what I've just done? You call me teacher and Lord or master. And you're right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you an example that you should do just as i have done for you jesus literally turns the entire construct of what it means to be a leader upside down the notion that says to be a leader means i'm powerful large and in charge it's exactly what it means in the world of game of thrones Is not what it means in the kingdom of God. To be the leader of all is to use your power to disempower yourself in order to raise up those that are disempowered truly. That's what it means to be a leader. We we see this exactly what Jesus says. And he turns to his disciples, as you have seen me do this, so you yourselves also do this. Paul, the apostle, would later pick this up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, walk in love, just as Christ also have loved us and given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling savior." savor. First, Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, actually is now going to be referencing or turning to leaders of the church, what we would call an elder or a pastor, what, what I do. And here's what he says. He says, a word to you who are leaders in churches. As a fellow leader, Paul says, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Don't lord it over the people that are assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. This is the language that Jesus himself used. What happens when people that are in positions of power or positions of authority, they lord their power over people this is exactly not only what we see in this world, but we see it creates a person that's been crushed people who jesus cares about lastly i want to finish with this thought which is what does power redeemed look like ultimately through renewed humans i want to finish with this thought just by addressing one element of our community here this morning though i think it would apply to all i've been pastoring for almost 30 years now or at least been involved in ministry for at least that and i've had hundreds, if not thousands, of conversations with people over the years. So, so what I'm about to tell you right now is not only based upon statistics, but also based upon personal experience, that the number one causation of incredible trauma and pain and oppression in our world today, are you ready for this? Our men. So I want to talk to you men, because you and I, were in this boat together, and you and I have this ability of using the power that we have, whether you know you have the power or not, to crush other people. Again, if it was not for men, there would be no Me Too movement. If it was not for men, now again, I want to be really clear on this. is not to say that women have not been and are not and cannot be abusive themselves. They are, and that's statistically proven. But predominantly in our culture, it is men who've misused and misappropriated the power that's been given to them and have caused an incredible amount of pain and crushing and destruction in the lives of people. So men, my invitation to you is to think about this carefully, critically. and Concern yourself with this. This is a gospel matter. And what I want to finish with is this, this thought, to not leave you hopeless or feeling crushed yourself, But if I were to guess that many of us as men have either contributed to the destruction and the pain of other people, maybe it was a past girlfriend, a past spouse, the way that you treated her, you crushed her, you crushed her spirit to this day, even though whatever it was that had maybe happened or transpired, happened years ago, decades ago to this very day, that person. And again, this might even be painful to even think about it, talk about, but we have to, we have to go there. I realize I might even be making enemies. Don't email me. Come talk to me face to face. Man to man, if you need to talk, I'm happy to talk. But the point that I would make is this, is that we have this unique opportunity as men is to identify the role that we play in the power that's been given to us to either continue to create this cycle of brokenness and pain and destruction in the lives of other people or to stop and change and to create an about face and to own it and then to begin to play our role of being healers like jesus was so these are three things i think we as men can do number one humble yourselves just like first peter says in chapter five or six he says humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god and he will lift you up you know what he's saying he's he's completely reorienting this submissive order one thing i've noticed all men in power who abuse their power have in common you ready for this All of them, without exception, you ready? All of them want power, but do not want to be in submission under somebody else. They want to rule, they don't want to submit. What Peter's saying is, men, submit. Under the mighty hand of God. Well, What's the mighty hand of God do? Well, we just read it. This God brings healing to some of the deepest wounds that you have. We know sociologically and psychologically that for the most part, hurt human beings hurt others because they themselves have been hurt. Whatever the hurt is that's deep in the deep places of your own heart, God wants to heal those places. How do you get there? Submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he, he will lift you up, what Peter says. Secondly, Practice repentance. Practice repentance. Be quick to just recognize, man, when you fail, when you blow it, when you use your mouth in a way to bring crushing or hurt, your actions cause pain in another person's life, and that comes to your attention, whether it be by way of somebody bringing your attention to that or you have some degree of uh, self-awareness and you realize, like, oh, my gosh, the way that I just talked to that person, that was repulsive. I should have never acted that way. I'm going to go seek that person out and apologize to them for the way that I acted. So you repent before God, you turn from your ways before God, you turn from your ways before that other human being that you've caused pain. And by the way, if that's never happened, this is a unique opportunity for you to maybe step into some of those areas. Maybe for some of you guys right now, you can think of people right now by name, people that you have hurt. It could be a daughter, it could be an ex-spouse, it could be a girlfriend, it could be a someone that you had worked for, someone that you have this unique opportunity of stepping into their life and saying, look, the way that I acted here is not my best self. It's not who I want to be. And I realize it caused pain. I want to own that and I want to apologize and I want to turn from that. Do you realize the amount of healing that that can actually provide? I've actually watched that happen in this church. Young men that have done things or abused or taken advantage of other people who have recognize at a later date the pain that they have caused they go into back in that relationship now this is not always available for some cases some of these people that maybe you've caused pain they don't want to talk to you they don't trust you and they have every reason to not want to talk to you or not want to trust you you have to accept that but those that might this becomes a unique opportunity to play a significant role in their healing then lastly i would just simply end with this thought: Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus invites us to live in a unique way that makes much of him. So number one, humble yourself. Number two, model repentance. Number three, follow Jesus. And lastly, in closing, as we think about the subject of power, Jesus helps the disempowered. That's the very center of the gospel. He comes to us while we are yet sinners and broken and lost and unable to save or help ourselves. And he comes to us and uses his power in a way to lift us. So my hope in closing not only this message, but also this entire series, is to invite you to turn to this God that loves you and uses his in his infinite power to lift you up. So as we close, Zach will come on up. We'll close this in a song. I want to invite you. How about we all stand? We will finish with a time to celebrate the communion together. I think we have the communion elements. Yes, we have communion elements. Uh, so if you are part of our audience here live throughout our parking lot, which this is awesome. Look around, guys. There's a lot of people here, and this is the week before Thanksgiving. This is amazing. A lot of you guys here. So if you're watching online, we invite you to come join us at some point on Sunday morning, live and in person and uh, we will finish with a song of worship and then we will partake of communion together. So if you are at home, you can grab some juice and or a cracker and we'll partake together. So let's, let's just tune our hearts right now to what God is wanting to say to us. Maybe you have been the person that has been a victim of abuse. As I mentioned earlier, my hope today would be that you'd be, be able to see the hand of God and his love for you. That you find comfort, cleansing, and kindness in his hand. That his hand is not a hand that crushes and destroys. His hand is a hand that heals. And I don't know how other hands have been involved in your life and the pain that they may have caused. The hand of God is a hand that brings healing. So let's turn our hearts right now to this God who brings wholeness.
1: death and dying I will not fear
0: was betrayed, he with his disciples had a meal. And this meal was identified as a Passover meal, which connected what was about to happen to this ancient story of God rescuing people from the oppression of Pharaoh. And what Jesus is basically putting in motion, he's identifying this is a new this is a new exodus that's about to happen. An exodus from new oppressors. The oppression of sin and death and destruction what he invites us to accept and trusting him is to recognize that sin and all of its friends is all pervasive throughout our lives and it in and of itself is the source of incredible oppression over our lives we become destroyed by sin then we become active destroyers of others through sin and it just repeats the cycle over and over and over again what Jesus is inviting us into is a means to break that cycle By trusting him, by coming to him, by repenting to him of our sin, our brokenness, our proclivities. and To invite him to remake us into people that are like him. So as you hold in your hand the bread and the cup, I invite you, even now, to think about this love of God that was put on display for you. And as you eat it, and as you drink it, realize you are being invited in to a whole new way of being human. So let's all partake together.